You're listening to the very first season ever of the Lifestyle Company Podcast, hosted by Kristen Forgion, designer, public speaker, and creator of Organic Desert Living. If you like talking design, business, and life without the filter, you came to the right place. In just six years, Kristen grew a one-woman side hustle into a multi-million dollar creative business. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Armed with grit and hard work, Kristen comes to you unapologetically with some tough love. They say wine is cheaper than therapy, and lucky for you, we've got that last part covered. So pour up and let's get to it. Episode two of the Lifestyle Company podcast is happening right here, right now. I cannot believe that episode one is out into the wild. It is on iTunes. It is on Spotify. I feel like it should be on all of the other places you podcast. I should probably check on that, though, because I personally haven't looked in those places, but we will. So I know for a fact right now it's on iTunes and Spotify. And thank you guys so much for rating and reviewing and subscribing and downloading I am completely blown away by how many of you there were and how many of you went and listened and enjoyed it and gave us really good feedback and we heard from and reviewed and all of that stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In just one episode, I really feel like I have already seen what a shift and what a different vehicle podcasting will be than the rest of my social media channels and the rest of the way that I can talk to you guys. I feel like the people that wrote direct messages on Instagram or that wrote us emails or that left comments or that wrote reviews wrote in a very different way, a much deeper way, which is exactly why I wanted to do this. They had really great feedback, a lot of very specific information. So many people sent me messages. So thank you so much saying that this particular part of episode one really resonated with them or they felt inspired or our stories are really similar. turns out a lot of people dropped out of college. A lot of people finished too, don't get me wrong. A lot of people moved somewhere stupid with their boyfriend. So that was just a really fun opportunity to get to connect that I had no idea how many people that I talk to on a regular basis, even on Instagram and social media, we have a lot more in common than we thought. So that was really rewarding. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And just like that, we're rolling into episode two and this train is is has left the station and we're going. So I think I really am officially a podcast host. So I'm gonna get better every single episode. I am so excited about this particular episode. And when we put the 12 episodes together, I was really trying to figure out the right order because although I own and operate and am an interior designer and own and operate an interior design firm and retail studio, I'm, I get a lot of questions about Instagram all the time. And, and it's just one of those funny things that I don't, I don't really think of myself as an influencer, but I, I guess I am. I am for sure. I definitely work with other businesses on campaigns and have been hired to do things from an influential standpoint. So I am an influencer, but there's like so many out there that have so many more followers and, and it's just a really interesting mind shift when you start looking at who you do have in your network and how you can serve them better from it from an Instagram and social media standpoint. And so because of that, I get a ton of questions on how I do it and how I've built my brand and how I've differentiated the lifestyle company and my own personal brand and and all of that stuff. So I am really excited to dive into Instagram and talk about where I have found success 
in using that platform specifically. So we are starting every show with a couple questions. So we're gonna dive into those. Where am I? I am at my now favorite recording studio because game changer, absolute game changer in the sound quality. Episode one turned out so much better than I thought it would. And I think in my head, I always thought I would probably at some point graduate to a soundproof booth or a studio of some kind. But for the first season, for sure, I would just end up recording at home. I try to record at home. I try to record at the office. I try to record at the warehouse. I try to record at the cabin. I try to record in my closet, in the car. I tried to record everywhere and it was no dice. Sounded horrible. So then I came came to this studio, Kelly, our marketing manager, got me a spot here and I recorded that first episode that you heard. Lickety split, no big deal. It was easy as pie. Finally, after so, so, so many hours trying to record and re-record and edit and it sounded great. So I'm back here and this is where I will record for the foreseeable future. What am I wearing? I am wearing our shale gold maxi skirt. Available at the shop, of course. We just did a new launch and I am obsessed with every single thing we have. And normally I don't always get everything because I really like to leave stuff for you guys. We're still playing with inventory controls and stock and how we can make sure that we have enough but not too much so that we can keep pricing affordable. So I don't always get stuff. This time I got stuff. Mama made a haul. So I have on our shale gold maxi skirt available at the Lifestyle Company shop. I also have on my new absolute favorite clear acrylic uh, stack heel that I have been living in. Kylie has been living in them. Um, We all absolutely love them. They have this little toe loop that is just so cute. So if you haven't checked out the shop, go on Instagram at lifestyledcoshop or www.thelifestyledcoshop.com. Everything is online. Everything is in our store. If you can make it to our brick and mortar in downtown Gilbert, we would absolutely love to see you. What am I eating? At the pace we're moving at right now, it's not allowing me a whole lot of time for dinner. (laughs) So Trader Joe's for the win, baby. We've been living on easy combinations for dinner specifically, and I usually will story them. So if you need easy dinner ideas, make sure you follow on stories because I'm talking like two or three ingredients, usually frozen, and voila, like 20 minutes we have dinner. So that has really been, again, a game changer for me in in time management, making sure that people eat in my household. Um, What am I reading? Nothing new since episode one. Still totally uh, on Business for Bohemians. I have two chapters left. If you haven't picked it up, go get it. It's such a good book. I think it's it's just such a good book. It's so well-rounded. I love, I absolutely love where the perspective comes from and the perspective that it gives you. Recent facepalm. Luckily, I haven't done anything super bad this week. I mean, it seems like this podcast is changing my life already. Wait, you know what? I did forget my computer charger like four days of last week. And I've been asking Blanche every day by about 11 to use her computer charger. So I definitely did that. Oh, my God. Why do I forget everything? Oh, anyway, um, on the radar, we are headed to High Point, North Carolina, which is one of the main furniture markets in the design industry. So uh, I was there in January creating a room with real fine furniture. And now... My, me and the entire team, we not the entire team, like all, like everybody, everybody, but me, Kylie, and Rachel are flying back to actually host the event, see our room come to life, 
tweak, restyle, get it all ready for all of the eyes of market to see it. So I'm also hosting a couple parties with some of my designer friends and I am on a panel with Ivy and Ivy is a business management system that has completely changed the game in the way designers manage their businesses. So this episode should air while we're there and while market is in full swing. So if you're a designer and you're listening, I want to see you slash meet you at market. So make sure you DM me because there's, like I said, a couple parties and some opportunities that we can actually meet each other. And that means a lot to me because I want to make sure I'm connecting in whatever way I can since we're on the West Coast. And in this particular case, we'll be on the East Coast. So it's a really good opportunity to meet people. Absolute death of the moment. Oh my God, you guys, our Pinterest account hit 1 million monthly views. This is huge. It's something I tasked Kelly with as a goal to try to hit by May and she legit did it in 30 days. Like, I'm not kidding. I don't know if she has like Pinterest on a direct like speed dial that I don't ever hear her or see her talk to, but I cannot believe it. I'm so, so proud of her. I don't know why I didn't hire Kelly like three years ago. Actually, yeah, I do because there's no freaking way I could have afforded her three years ago. But I am so, so happy. So if you don't follow us on Pinterest, which is funny because I, I storied this yesterday and I got probably 25 DMs of people like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't follow you on Pinterest. How did I not follow you on Pinterest? So Pinterest is not just where we regurgitate all the same visual content that we post on social media. It's a place where we post, of course, all of our projects from our own portfolio It's where we post a bunch of inspiration. It's where we go to pin. So where us as a design team and where our designers go to pin so that we're getting inspiration. We pin outside content from blogs that we look at all the time, from magazines, from just about anywhere you can imagine into boards. So if you're on Pinterest and you don't follow, search the Lifestyle Company and it will come up and then you can follow our boards and you will be able to see what we're doing. We pin a ton of fashion too because of the shop and and buying. So that's on there too. So it's definitely worth the follow. So I'm so, so proud that our Pinterest account hit 1 million views. With that, let's talk about Instagram. I am not an Instagram expert by any means. I have never had any formal training, but I have done my fair share of webinars. I read a ton. I've conducted plenty of my own trial and error research. So I feel like I've got some perspective. Remember, if you talk to anyone who has had any success on Instagram, Everyone is going to have pros and cons, things that you absolutely have to do, things that you should never do. So just take it all with a grain of salt. I'm going to tell you today what works for me, exactly what I do and how I do it so that you can take my practices and adapt them into your life for your business brand, for your personal brand, for how you mom just to be visually pleasing and appealing, however it works for you, I am going to tell you how I do it. So please don't roast me if you don't agree. Everyone can do it their own way. There's plenty of success to be had by all. Trust me, there are plenty of followers out there. Getting into that. According to Tailwind, Instagram hit 1 billion monthly active Instagram users as of June 2018. 1 billion. Is that insane or what? Of the 1 billion, 121 million of them are in the US. And 32.6% of those users are between 25 and 34. So I just found those statistics really, really interesting. And it really shows you the sheer volume of people that you're actually working with. So 
like I said, I'm going to tell you about kind of what works for me and how I do it and how it's evolved a little bit and a little bit of my perspective on Instagram and how I don't get frustrated. I have a lot of people that say I'm burnt out. I have my own feelings and personal thoughts about the Instagram burnout and a social media cleanse and all that, which I will tell you, which may be an unpopular opinion. I'm going to tell you right now, but I'm just going to be totally honest with you. So I blame a lot of how and why I'm naturally good at social media specifically and solely because of timing. Social as a whole started with MySpace for me when I was like 19 years old. So I kind of just adapted it into my daily life by default. Like it was what everyone was doing and it was apps and iPhone and all that stuff was just coming out, making it super, super easy. And because of that, I it was just happening at a time that was really simple for me to adapt into my daily life. So I think that helps for sure. I also have to briefly touch on, and please do not let me go down the dark black rabbit hole of influencer fraud because we have an entire episode dedicated to it. But I want to make sure I touch on if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. If something doesn't feel right on somebody's account or you're watching someone in air quotes, grow at what seems illogical or at a totally unheard of pace, there could be something up. Not always, but there could be. I'm going to teach you everything to look for so that you know if there's something fishy going on in that episode. For now, I just wanted to make sure that you understand. Don't compare. Don't play the compare game. You obviously can't be naive and stupid and not know what's happening in the social fishbowl that you're playing in. But at the same time, you can't be so fixed on what other people are doing that you get totally sidetracked and you can't actually focus on growing your own account. Um, So I just think it's really important to make sure that you kind of know that it's happening and know what to look for, but not let it ever derail your own personal journey and growth and, and what you're trying to do on Instagram. Before I jump deep into my strategies, if you can only remember one thing from this episode, I want it to be this. And I truly feel like this is one of the major reasons why I have been able to see steady growth in my account. Just be social. Sounds easy, right? And it is so easy. Just be social. Be normal. That's it. Okay, episode's over. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm going to give you so much more meat, but truly it is as simple as that. Just be social. If you want people to engage with you, you have to engage with other people. So that means speaking outside of just emojis. I I love emojis, but Instagram doesn't love emojis as much as you might think they do, meaning they don't put as much weight in how your content affects the algorithm if you're only speaking in emojis. So while the single heart response to a comment is sweet and kind, it's kind of half-assed, right? Like use some words, use at least four words according to Instagram, but use some words and put some thought into it. And if you just adapt that one simple task of being social on social media, everything will change for you. I can tell you something that I started doing a really long time ago, probably like four years ago. Every single time I would be on Instagram, I would like and comment on the first 10 accounts that rolled through my feed, no matter what they were, whether they were corporate accounts, whether they were 
long lost friends, whether they were people that I didn't really know, I would leave thoughtful, meaningful content on the first 10 accounts. So that's liking and commenting on the first 10 accounts. If you do that, I would be really shocked if you didn't see some serious growth, depending on who you're following. If you're following like a bunch of huge brands that have, you know, 10 million followers, it might be a little challenging to get noticed. But if you're following a combination of brands and regular people and small business accounts and celebrity accounts and every combination thereof, you should really start to see some genuine feedback because it's really hard not to support people who support you. So just by commenting and liking on the first 10 people every single time you are in Instagram, you will see a serious change in your own engagement, in followers, in the way that those same people are commenting and liking and engaging back with you. It is a total game changer. I also feel like it really helps as I mentioned before, that social burnout. I think a lot of people think Instagram owes them them something, especially when they're doing Instagram for their business. And they think that Instagram has like a vendetta against them. And the only thing I can say about that is Instagram doesn't owe you a damn thing. And when you're competing with 1 billion users, they're gonna make you work for it. And you can understand why. It's a single photo visual platform at a time. And if you think just about the simple mathematics of human motor skill skills, a human being just can't absorb that much at one time. So it is a fight that is always alive and well in the Instagram community about organic chronological content versus the algorithm content and how content is served to you. So at the very basic level, organic chronological content would be of the 100 people that you follow, you would see their posts in in order by which they were posted. So if Susie posted before Lisa, you would see Susie before Lisa, where now it's the algorithm serve content, which means that based on all of your behavioral patterns as an Instagram user, Instagram is deciding what content you're seeing before others and and frankly, what content you're seeing, period. So if you all of a sudden notice that you're liking a whole bunch of puppy accounts, when you go to your little home screen where it's where Instagram is trying to show you new accounts that you don't know or new posts that you don't know, a lot of them are probably going to be puppies because you just engaged at a higher level than you may have before in puppies. I hope that makes sense. That is, again, at the very basic level, at least how I understand it. And clearly the algorithm changes every single day. And I don't think anyone... I even wonder if the people working at Instagram writing the algorithm know what the algorithm is going to be the next day. So anyway, so I think it helps with social burnout if you try to approach it in a way that is genuine. Think about talking to your friend. Think about texting your friend. Think about what you would actually say if you actually knew this person. Because it's kind of like the weird, fictitious world that is social media. It's like I meet people every day. They know everything about me. They know everything about me. They know my children's names. They know when my anniversary is. They know all of the projects I'm working on. They know what I ate for dinner last night. They know what I'm wearing today. They know where I ate lunch today. They know my favorite rosé. They know where my furniture is from. Like they know everything about me, but they don't actually know me. They've never met me. So it's weird. It can be weird. And because of that, you really have to find this normal, genuine, authentic place that you can kind of live in, that you feel comfortable, that you can be yourself, and that you can also put out there that same kind of comfort, if that makes sense. And you know what? I wasn't going to give these numbers, but I think it's just easier to remember strategies and points with numbers. So number one, just be social. Number two, you have to decide if you're going to do this as a hobby or as a business. 
And is there really a decision though? Because I feel like if you're listening to this, you probably are not, not always, but probably on the path thinking about already into developing some kind of creative business and you want some clarity on what you're doing and how to do it. So if you are listening to this Instagram strategy episode because you take beautiful photos of your children and you don't have anything to market or sell and you're not trying to build your own personal brand to market and sell it and you truly just want to have a really beautiful Instagram feed, these will all still work for you. You'll have killer engagement and you probably will turn into an influencer without even knowing it. But um, for the most part, I feel like You really have to decide if you're going to do this as a business or as a hobby in whatever your business is. One of the main reasons I say that is because there are features when you convert your personal user account to a business account that you really need as a business owner and as a marketer. So once you decide that you're going to do it for business, just make the switch. Switch it over to a business account. There were some rumors around for a while that once you switched your personal account over to a business account, if you already had followers, you could lose followers and there would be a big backlash and Instagram will hate you and all that stuff. I never experienced anything like that. When I switched my account over to a business account, I think I probably had maybe 10,000 followers at that point and I switched it over and it was fine. It was great. It was like all of a sudden I had this whole new world of insights and analytics right on the platform, which has been so, so helpful. So as soon as you decide that you want to make a business of this, switch your business account, your personal account over to a business account so that you can have all of those insights and analytics because they really help. That takes me to number three, which is know when to post. The insights that are on your business account will really help you to figure out when to post based on your engagement. So I feel like it really depends on my time zone sometimes when my engagement is higher. I also think it depends a lot on your content. I feel like if you were a food influencer or blogger or something relating to food, logically, maybe my engagement would be higher when people are hungry. I don't know. That could be totally wrong. But conversely, as an interior designer, I feel like my engagement is is way higher in the morning when people are looking through their phone and kind of looking for all that pretty visual content. And then in the, in the later afternoon, evening, like five, six o'clock, doesn't seem to be that high at all in the afternoon when people are at work. I don't know entirely why that is, but for me, I see a huge drop off. I mean, hundreds of likes and comments difference between, let's say, the post that I posted that morning or a couple mornings before and something that I post around two o'clock. Two o'clock is like death zone for me and not the good death, not lifestyle company death, like actual dying death, because that's where posts go to die. When you post them at two o'clock in my world, that's where they go to die. So don't overthink it, but have a conscious understanding of what your last five posts were about and make sure that there's a variety. I don't and have never planned my content ahead of time. Yes, I plan my content, meaning I look at my last five posts like I just told you to do, but I don't use a content planner or plan the next 10 posts or anything like that. I am always wanting to be able to include what's happening in real time. So because of that, if I plan my whole feed out, it would be harder for me to throw in what's actually happening. So based on our events or based on our projects that we're working on, based on install days, based on my travel, based on what I'm wearing, all of those things help contribute to what I'm posting. But for me, if I planned all that stuff out ahead of time, I think it would just be a lot harder for me. I also feel like there are some people who absolutely have to plan it all out or it won't happen. 
And then there are other people like me who might be a little bit more casual with it and can still make it happen without planning every single post and hanging on every word. I tend to, on really busy days, try to plan the entire day of content. So that means my posts in the morning, my posts in the evening, and then I typically will start with a few stories in the morning and then kind of let the day go from there. And then I usually respond to messages and respond to that content sometime in the later evening after my girls go to bed. It's really important to figure out a time that works for you so that you are not just putting content out there and then not doing anything with it. So let's recap. We're about halfway through so that we all know kind of where we're at at this point. Number one, just be social. Just be normal. Be friends. Just be social. Number two, decide if you're going to do this as a hobby or as a business. We already talked about, is there really a question? If you're listening to this, I'm thinking that you're probably leaning toward making a business out of this. Because of that, you definitely need to convert your account from a personal account to a business account. Number three, know when to post. You will have a lot easier time figuring out when to post if you have changed your personal account to your business account because there are features in a business account that are not available on the personal side. Number four, decide what your focus areas are for posting. So that's what we just talked about. So really think about subject matter and make sure that you're staying within your world so that you don't throw people off and people aren't like, why are you posting that? It's confusing. I want to unfollow you. You don't want that. Number five, if you sell something, please do not sell or preach. Tell a story. Think about the value for the reader or for the the user. Why do you want them to keep reading? What will make them engage and what will make them want to like or comment? If you just shove product or services down people's throats and expect them them to go to bat for you and give you something to engage back with, you're crazy. I have seen so many accounts that I genuinely like the person or I genuinely like the content or I might even genuinely like the product, but they are constantly pushing product down my throat and every single time their post comes up on my feed, it's like they're trying to get me to buy something. And I don't like that unless it's something that I really, really need, which frankly, I I don't even know if that thing exists. It just doesn't resonate and it doesn't sit well and it doesn't leave like that warm and fuzzy feeling. And ultimately, part of just being social is wanting to do that. You want to leave that warm and fuzzy feeling. You want to give them a reason to engage. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be selling on Instagram. You should 100% be selling on Instagram. But part of your sales technique and how you really hone in on how people resonate with you and your brand is by figuring out how you can package that information in a way that doesn't feel salesy. It feels authentic. It feels like you. It feels like you're providing some sort of value to the user so that you're not just pitching product at them and and expecting them to give you some monumental engagement back. As with all sales, there is an art to selling and there is an art to selling on Instagram. So just be mindful of why people started following you in the beginning. I always think about the people who started following me five years ago. And if those same people are still following me, what they would want to see, because I think it's super important to think about those people that have been part of your journey from the beginning. And I love hearing from the people that say, I followed you for a a really long time. And I also love hearing from the people that say, I just started following you and I love what I see. 
So try to understand if you have been a part of this for X amount of months, days, years, whatever, you don't want to forget about what that perception of that user might be like while you're still trying to attract and and grow and make sure that what you're putting out is attractive to your new user and, and to the new model and the new change or however your business has evolved over the years or days or months or whatever. So we're halfway through this Instagram brain dump of what I do on a daily basis and kind of the rules that I live by in trying to keep Instagram authentic and useful for myself. Are you still out there? (laughs) Am I overwhelming anyone? With one through five, if you're already feeling like, oh my God, this is so much, like how do I do this in one day? How do I make sure that I'm not doing too much of number two and doing enough of number five and blah, blah, blah. Just take it in steps. Try to do one step a week. That would give you, there's 10 steps or 10 rules, let's call them, 10 tips, whatever. That would give you 10 weeks to kind of transform your Instagram. Try to just get good and understand and absorb one of these tips a week so that you are not gonna totally overwhelm yourself in trying to make a whole new Instagram person and not be able to do that. That's like going cold turkey on a diet or carbs, and that's just not gonna happen in my world. So try to just dissect it a little bit so that it's not so overwhelming, because it is a lot. And as I mentioned before, Instagram comes easily to me and social media comes easily to me because I'm a super social person and I'm confident in what I'm saying and what I'm talking about. And I realize that that's not the same for everyone. So I'm trying to make sure that these tips are helpful in a, in a global way or in a, in a way that will help a lot of different personality types and a lot of different types of businesses. And that can be hard. So try to just take it in small doses so that you don't feel overwhelmed. Moving into number six. The level of content from a visual standpoint. I feel like that's not the greatest title of a tip, but here's where I'm going with it. I've already said this, but I'll say it again. Instagram is a visual platform. So to put it in perspective, podcasting is not really a visual platform. We're auditory, right? You're listening. You're not looking at what I'm doing right now. You're listening to what I'm saying. Instagram, while there are stories and IGTV and all that, um, It is a totally visual platform for the most part based on a feed and based on a single photo and a single caption at a time. So because of that, you have to really up your game in terms of what is visually stunning. If it's not pretty to look at, it's going to be a real bitch to try and make any impact with it. And that's the truth. I like to use the example of a dentist. If you are a marketer for a dental office or a dental company or something that has to do with teeth, teeth from far away are really pretty. But when you get like into teeth and you actually look at close up photography of teeth, it's not that pretty. It's kind of scary in fact, especially if you are doing before and afters or you're looking at teeth that aren't like absolutely gorgeous, like, you know, these beautiful smiles. So in that case, it's a perfect perfect example of understanding that you're probably going to have to find a compliment to let's say dentistry that's relevant to your business that can help bridge that gap of like the ugly stuff and the pretty stuff. For me, interior design genuinely is a really beautiful business, but I don't know if you've ever noticed on our before and afters, we call them before and afters, but we don't put the befores on the feed. We put the afters on the feed and then you swipe right to see the before. 
because if we put the before on the feed, that would throw off all the really pretty curated content, high level photography that we have. So the same is true for the most part with any of your businesses. I think photography is one of the, the creative businesses that genuinely and, and from a very high level standpoint has really beautiful content because you're a photographer. So what you put out is really gorgeous unless you photograph something ugly. I don't know what that might be, but for the most part, it's really pretty visual content. So you have to really up your game in the visual content arena when you're trying to get serious on Instagram. Every single image doesn't need to be high resolution. It doesn't need to be professional, but I can't, I, I really can't tell you the last time I posted unedited content. So what that means is even though I'm taking a snap of my dog, literally just this past weekend, sitting in my bedroom, I didn't just take a photo of that and put it on Instagram. I took the photo, then I went to Lightroom, I used the presets that are tried and true for me that I started with way back when that I have tweaked ever so slightly for the last bit and put that preset on and then put that content out. So in my opinion, there's really no reason to ever put out unedited content unless you maybe were a photographer that was selling presets and you wanted to show the difference. And even there, I still think I would put the the after on the feed because it just looks so much prettier. So in not planning content, that can also be challenging. So for some people, it's really hard to understand how the grid works. And once you post an image, it moves to the right. And then once it's three over, it moves down to the left. So it can be hard to understand how the colors work together. And if that is you, I highly recommend using a grid planner. So then at least you can see how the colors work and and how much better your feed can look if you're selecting the right imagery to go along with what you've already posted. That's kind of complex, so I get if that can be challenging. So for the most part, at this level, I would say just try to make sure that, and actually, I changed my mind, don't try. Make sure that every photo that you post has editing to it at the level that it should to grow your account. So you just wanna make sure that all of your content looks really, really beautiful. I bought presets off of Etsy, like I said, and I downloaded them onto Lightroom. There are a ton of tutorials on YouTube and Pinterest that can teach you exactly how to do it far better than I can on this podcast or on Instagram stories. Get on there, search Lightroom presets, Lightroom presets for mobile. If you want to use VSCO or ViscoCam, whatever your poison is, pick what you are most comfortable with and really get to know that app so you can edit those images right on your phone and you're not tied to having to open your laptop or anything like that. It will be a really, really easy transition for you once you start doing it. And I can also tell you with my presets that I use and that I have tweaked, I don't use the same preset for every photo. I use a preset for travel, one for um, photos of people, one for our interiors. If I'm sharing a crappy iPhone pic, I typically use the same interior photo. For the most part, I try not to post content of our interiors on the feed that isn't professional. I like to save that feed for our best quality content. So that's of our work, pretty much always professional photography. I use a different filter for my girls. I use a different filter for, I don't know if I already said this, but for food and travel. So you really shouldn't be using the same filter for every single type of photo because the requirements are so different. Product photography, totally different filter for product photography because you really want that product to bounce off of that photo and and be seen. That would obviously be a different filter than me and my kids at Disneyland. Just doesn't make sense. So try to think about that. And again, you don't need a hundred, you need like five. And if you can really master those five, then you can start branching out into other 
areas so that you can tweak your craft even a little bit more. Whatever you do, just don't get lazy. I would honestly rather you skip a post than you feel like you have to post and put out content that isn't at the level that it should be when you're a marketer and growing your business or any business. So if you just don't have time and you have to half-ass it, just don't do it because truly I think the engagement or lack thereof is way more damaging on something that just doesn't look like it fits your feed. And it kind of is one of those take two steps forward to take 10 steps back. Like here you are, you're gonna listen to this podcast, you're gonna be super empowered, you're gonna wanna change your feed, you're gonna wanna have some consistency and see that. And then you're gonna get busy, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I haven't posted today. You're gonna try to post something, you're not gonna have time and it's gonna tank. And then you're gonna be bummed and then we're gonna have to start all over. So just try to be consistent and don't be lazy because it will be so, so, so much easier for you. Number seven, use hashtags. I am a huge believer in hashtags. I recently heard that hashtags don't matter anymore. Users aren't finding new users users from hashtags, but I can definitely tell you that that hasn't been the case for me at all. I have gotten a ton of regrams, partnerships, followers, collaborations, free product, any combination of from using hashtags. And there's a ton of hashtag strategies out there. For me, I'm gonna tell you what works for me. I tend to use between 25 and 30 hashtags. 30 is the max. So make sure you do not use more than 30. And that is total hashtags on your post. I have about 10 hashtag blocks that I rotate based on what the subject of my content for that post is. So for example, if I'm posting a kid's room, I use hashtags geared more toward children, play, mothers, kids' spaces, playrooms, big sister, little sister, big brother, little brother, whatever. Some some combination of hashtags that is relevant to that subject. If I'm posting a design flat lay, I use tags more geared toward pretty design terms, the style of the flat lay, or something in that regard. If I'm posting like a gushy post about Vince and I and our anniversary, I use couples hashtags, love hashtags, something about man and wife, my sexy man, not really, you guys, I'm kidding, but something like that. So you should be tweaking your hashtags around the content. By using the same hashtag block every single time you post something, that's only going to show your posts in the exact same hashtags in the same place all the time. So just don't do that. Be way more strategic than that so that your posts can get seen in overall in more places and the chance of someone stumbling upon your account and loving it is much greater, much, much, much greater. Usually you want to have hashtags that have at least 25,000 posts, but no more than a million. So if the tag has more than a million posts on it, it usually means that the content is being tagged so many times so quickly that there's no chance that your content will get found in the first 30 posts. And at that point, so if there's three at a time, that's the first 10 rows. At that point, after those first 30 posts, the chances of it getting found go way, way, way down. And while hashtags might seem like this abyss, they're actually relatively simple. All it is is an indexing system. So think about the content of your photo. If you were looking looking at it from a visual standpoint, what you would need to type in to find that image. And While it's totally okay to have fun with some hashtags, like you could write hashtag and then a super long run on sentence. 
every once in a while, obviously no one is going to be searching for that. So don't do that a lot or your hashtags are totally going to be meaningless and no one's going to find your content. The same is true with researching your hashtags. So before you post a photo with 30 hashtags, make sure that you've actually clicked on those hashtags and seen what they are. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen posts that it's a great post, it checks all the boxes, visually it's beautiful, we've got great content, really great description, and I go to click on one of the hashtags that they have featured, especially in the top, and you click on it and it's like, whoa, how did I get here? This is not at all the content that I wanna be associated with. This is not at all what this picture should be associated with. So you have to make sure that you're clicking on the hashtags, take the time to do the research so that you know what that hashtag is going to lead your users to. I like to have like, or at least I feel like I have some social responsibility around what I put out there. And I wanna make sure that when my users and the people that are following me are clicking on hashtags that I'm bringing them to, that they're they're relevant. And one, that they're not offensive, and two, that they're they're relevant to what I'm talking about and what I want my brand to be associated with. The same is true when you're making up hashtags. So when you are going to host a campaign or you want users to post pictures and you wanna be able to go look at those pictures, or for us, a lot of times it's project photography. So we name all of our projects and we want to be able to click on that hashtag for our project and see our project. If you use Elm Street Project, hashtag Elm Street Project, I would be willing to bet that there are other projects out there that other people have used and have used the tag Elm Street Project. You don't want that. I don't wanna see all the Elm Street projects. In this particular case, I'm using and creating a personal hashtag that I want to be personally reflective of what I'm doing and I wanna be the only person using that. Ultimately, if someone jumps onto your hashtag at a later date and and you haven't used it or it's gone stale, that's out of your control completely and there's nothing you can do. But you can also make sure that you're not creating new content that is on someone else's hashtag if it's still active or being used. Ultimately, there are plenty of iterations of hashtags to go around that you can find something that works with whatever you are trying to create so that it feels original. Okay, number eight. I hope you guys are still with me. This is one of the other easy ones. For God's sake, respond. That is literally what I have written in my notes. (laughs) Number eight, for God's sake, respond. This is a huge one. Personally, I can't respond to every comment. I really try, but I can't respond to every comment. But I also take the time to respond to every single direct message. So it's just easier for me to manage direct messages. So I have said before, And as of right now, I'm still on this train. I am responding to every single direct message that I get. Occasionally, I'm sure I miss one or the way that the Instagram inbox is configured is kind of hard sometimes. So if you like skip a chunk and then they're coming in so fast, occasionally I'll miss a chunk of messages that I don't find till way later. I will then respond, but every once in a while I miss something. And then when someone writes back and I see that I didn't respond to the above message, I will of course say, I'm so sorry, I didn't see this message. And then I try to answer that question or respond. I obviously can't always give people the answer that they want. While I feel like we are really generous in trying to share as many sources as we can, sometimes we can't tell you where that's from. And sometimes it's unavailable. And sometimes there's a complicated story behind it. Or sometimes it was really expensive and our client doesn't want want anyone to know. Or there's a lot of times that it just doesn't make sense to be able to share that information. So I just politely say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't share that information right now, but thanks for asking, you know, don't be shy. You can still ask on the next one or whatever. So I am trying to respond. 
Instagram wants you to respond. It is looking for a two-sided relationship. So just like all other relationships in life, if you're not putting anything into the love tank, the love tank is going to go dry. So you can have a million comments, but if you don't respond to any of those comments, at some point, Instagram is going to catch on and it's going to kind of punish you in a way in not showing your account to that many users. And because of that, naturally your engagement will fall. So you want to respond. Instagram wants you to respond. I think I touched on earlier, genuinely try to respond with four words and punctuation. Instagram loves punctuation, but not emojis. So it's totally okay, four words and an emoji, but at least four words. If you just respond with emojis, it kind of doesn't count. And at, at least that's what I've learned from my research on Instagram. I also wanted to say this before I jump into the last two points. I am an avid reader of later.com. It is where I learn so, so much Instagram insights. So go to later.com, put in your email, and those are actually emails that I'm so happy to be a part of. And every single time I get one in my inbox, I read it right away pretty much every word. And I have learned so, so much. Kelly, our marketing manager, was not using later when she started and I turned her onto it. And I think she really likes it too. And she has a lot of marketing experience. So the fact that she likes it for me means that it's really good quality content. And I definitely feel like someone in their office has a direct line to Instagram because they definitely are sharing information that I feel like is is coming out sooner than maybe in other places where Instagram content is being shared. I also use influencermarketinghub.com. That's a great place to be able to track engagement a little bit and be able to look at follower counts. And if you, I I think for this episode, it's probably a little complex, but um, who knows, maybe in a future episode, we'll get a, a little bit deeper into actual analytics and how you can really, really strategize at a much more minute level. Um, but those are two websites that I love and that I use all the time. Number nine, make sure you're creating original content. We talked about what types of things to post and when to post, but you also need to make sure that part of that is a healthy mix of original content. So original content means content that you are responsible for, that you own, that you can do whatever you want with. Other accounts, users, and brands may see content on your feed, but if it's not original or your own, they're gonna keep chasing that photo or that content back to the original creator to find the owner so that they can then ask permission to use it, to regram it, to collaborate with that person on it. So if you're not putting out any of that original content, you're gonna fall flat in terms of finding partnerships and collaborations and regrams. So you want to be the original owner of content so that you can have the opportunity to work with bigger accounts and bigger brands and work with other people that want to push your account forward. And don't let creating original content be daunting. Again, it doesn't have to be professionally shot. It doesn't have to be high resolution. It doesn't have to be perfectly staged with the best light. It's totally not like that. It just has to be your own. It just has to be through your own eyes, in your way, in a, a way that you created You created this. It, it didn't exist before you. And whether it's a picture of your shoes on a really great floor, or it's the food that you made, or it's the room that you designed or styled or whatever, it just needs to be yours so that you can do with it what you want. You can put it on all of your social channels. And when that gets out there, people can come back to you as the original owner to be able to work with that content. It's super important. You can, and I shouldn't say that there's no success in Instagram if you're regurgitating content. I mean, there are hundreds of accounts that are considered inspiration accounts. 
And in that case, I think it's totally acceptable. Your, your, the purpose of your account is sharing content. So that would obviously be a situation where you're not sharing original content, you're sharing other people's content. And your account should be very obvious that it is an inspiration account. There are accounts like Real Houses of IG that for the most part share other designers work in other people's accounts. It's obvious, you can tell that that's not a design firm and it's not one person's work. But for you, if you're managing or marketing a business to where you are trying to put your business footprint forward and and tell the story of your brand, you need to be creating original content. It's a total game changer and you will see a huge difference in your engagement as soon as you start doing that. Of course, pending that it looks like it needs to, just like we talked about in one through nine. So the last tip, number 10, always be branding. I think I saved the best one for last. Make sure you're you. Just make sure you sound like you. Make sure you're authentic. Make sure your content looks like you and your brand. In episode one, I talked about this really simple phrase that resonated with a lot of people. I got a lot of feedback on it. When people think of design, I want them to think of me. And the same is true in my visual presence on Instagram. When people see my content, I want them to think of me and I want them to know it's mine. And so by making sure that that's always top of mind. Before I post anything, I think about, is this me? Is this my brand? Is this the lifestyle company? Is this what I want to be reflective of where we've been and where we're going? And of course, it's a moment's notice. I'm not thinking about it for 10 minutes. If you have to think about it for 10 minutes, you probably shouldn't be posting it. But for the most part, you just wanna make sure that it feels like you. If you're all over the place, people are going to notice and it's going to feel funny and you don't you don't want that and you don't like that and that's not going to increase engagement. So always be branding with every single thing you post. Make sure that there's consistency in your descriptions. Make sure that you're being catchy. Make sure that you're not copying other people. Make sure that your visual content falls at a standard and do not dip below that standard. Make sure that you respond. Make sure that you're kind. In this particular episode, we didn't get to talk about nasty trolls and mean people and people who are going to disagree with you. I have a very, very thick skin thanks to Instagram. And I think naturally I'm a pretty sensitive person. So it's been something that I've had to work on. So I hope I get to tell you a little bit of that about that in kind of these first episodes. But I try to keep it positive, especially when you're just learning and growing. Hopefully you're not going to run into anything like that. The best thing to do if you do is to just ignore it. I am totally not scared of blocking people. If you take the time to write something nasty to me and and that isn't constructive at all, I'm probably just gonna have to block you and move on because ain't nobody got time for that shit. But um, for the most part, you probably won't have to deal with any of that. And like I said, if you do, just shake it off and, and move on. So those are truly the 10 steps that in thinking about everything that you have to do to make Instagram go well for you, those are the things that have been real game changers for me in my business and in growing our accounts the way we have. I hope that that is beneficial for you guys. Like I've said before, please DM me if you have questions. Kelly is working on making sure that everything that I said is in the show notes. We have a new podcast page on our website, www.thelifestyleco.com. So you can go there and click through to be able to listen right there to the first episode and the second episode, and we'll just keep on going from there. So like we talked about previously, we're going to close every single episode with three questions. I thought this one was really good. What is one thing you want someone to know before they come to you for design? 
The one thing I think you should definitely be really familiar with before you inquire with a designer is their portfolio, their work. I know it sounds crazy, but we still get inquiries probably weekly with people who I don't think that they have ever seen our work, which I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but it seems like maybe they're just like rapid firing off 10 inquiries with 10 designers to see who gets back to them first and who's the cheapest which is a horrible strategy in selecting a designer, but you definitely need to be familiar with that designer's work. Especially if you if if the design firm that you really want to work with or that you're inquiring with runs their business like we do in that we require an aesthetic match. Like number 1. Number 1, are you awesome? Number 2, do you aesthetically find what we think is beautiful? Beautiful. Aesthetically, are we a match? Do we both think that the same thing is pleasing to the eye? It's super important because if if we don't, how are we ever going to get along in the design world? When I'm showing you things, you're, you're probably not going to like them because we don't think that the same thing is pretty. And when you're showing me things, I'm probably not going to like them because I don't think those things are pretty. So Absolutely, you have to be familiar with that designer or that design firm's work so that you know that you're a match and you can trust them. It it instantly builds blind trust because you know that anything we show you, you're going to love because you love what we do and you're familiar with our work. Another one that I love that we get all the time, do you have to have a degree to break into the design biz? My answer is absolutely not. I personally don't know how I could require a design degree from people when I don't have a degree. (laughs) Yes, there are certain jobs that are going to require a degree just because they require schooling that you can't learn on the street, as I like to say, but you definitely do not have to have a design degree. I think the most important thing to think about if you really want to break into the design business is in what capacity do you want to work in design? As with all things, there are different focuses that require different things. So if you want to be a commercial designer, you want to design hospital rooms, you want to design restaurants, or you want to be a residential designer and you want to design builds, you want to design multi-million dollar homes, or you want to be a kid space designer, whatever that is for you, that's the first thing you have to figure out. What's my goal, right? What do I want to do? And where do I think I'll be the most happy? Working for a small design firm is totally different than working for a big design firm. We're kind of like a medium size. We've got a lot of projects happening. We've got a, you know, a handful of employees now, a little, a few more than a handful of employees. We have a lot of different stuff happening, but there are other firms out there that have 50 designers. That's going to be obviously a very different experience. So I think you really have to think about what you want and what your market will allow. If you work in a market or if, or if where you live isn't a thriving design metropolis, it's going to be more challenging to find a design job. And so because of that, you might have to adjust and pivot, like I always say, pivot what you really want to be able to get that foot in the door in design and then figure out where to go from there. You always want to start with the end in mind so that you can make sure that the people that you have around you are helping you. Every single time I meet with our team, I say, where do we go from here? What do you want? I want to make sure you're happy. What do you see happening from here? And the same is true when we bring in brand new employees, employees that are starting on our retail floor, we have that conversation. Where do you want to go from here? Because it really, really helps if you understand what kind of happiness you're looking for and what kind of happiness you're going to get out of design so that you know what to do with your non-design degree. Does that make sense? And the last one, just because, do I ever sleep? 
Yes, you guys, I sleep so much. I'm a sleepaholic. I think it's really funny because I think people think that I don't sleep just because I happen to get a lot done in a day. But I sleep. I am almost in bed in the eights every day that I can be. I really am not a night owl at all. I would way rather wake up at five o'clock in the morning and do something than I would do it at nine o'clock. I'm totally not that person. I am a morning person completely and I need like nine hours at least. And my girls are the same way. My husband, he can sleep like four hours. So he is up later than me every single night. Occasionally, I'll be like, is there any way you can come to bed with me like in the eights? And he's really gotten a lot better at that lately. So I sleep so much. And for me, I honestly think it's like the secret for my body. I just know that I need sleep and I there's no compromising on it. So I tend to not like to do anything that I stay up late doing, which can make me feel extra old, extra 35. But yes, I sleep at least nine hours. Don't kick it till you've tried it. That's it. Episode two is done. I can't wait to hear your feedback. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell people that you know, share on social. This is such an amazing journey and I really love hearing from you guys. It really helps us to to figure out future episodes and tweak the style a little bit and figure out what you like and what you don't. So don't be shy. Hope to hear from you guys soon. See you on episode three. Thanks for listening. Kristen responds to every direct message on Instagram. So if you've got something to say, want to be a guest, or have episode ideas, get her at Lifestyled Co. Need some organic desert living for yourself? The Lifestyled Company Shop is waiting for you online at www.lifestyledcoshop.com, at the brick and mortar location in downtown Gilbert, or on Instagram at Lifestyled Co. Shop. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify.